morning and happy Easter. He is risen. Amen. So grateful to gather with you on this glorious Easter Sunday morning and share in this service of worship. Uh, before we go any further, I would invite you just to stand right where you are and greet some of the folks around you this Easter morning. I invite you to begin uh, finding your seats once more, and together we'll prepare our hearts and our minds to worship the risen Lord who is in our midst this day.
Welcome to the live broadcast of a service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. stand for the call to worship. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Sin and death once held sway, but in your rising their power is vanquished. Glory and honor, dominion and power be to God forever and ever. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Once again, welcome to the live broadcast of a service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church at 1627 Monument Avenue in Richmond, Virginia. This is the 96th year of radio ministry at Grace Covenant, and today's date is April the 21st, 2019, Easter Sunday. Today's broadcast is number 4,938. The Reverend Dr. Robert Holm Lippert is our pastor. This morning's sermon entitled The Fires of Home, will be delivered by Christopher Tweel, our Associate Pastor for Christian Education. Assisting in the service today are Christopher Martin, our Director of Music and Organist, the Chancel Choir, the Handbell Choir, and Reverend Dr. Holm Lippert. Our church is handicapped accessible with an elevator, wheelchairs, hearing assistance, and large print bulletins and hymnals. Child care is provided for infants, toddlers, and kindergartners. Worship kits are available for older children at the entrance to the sanctuary. Our opening hymn is Jesus Christ is Risen Today, which is number 204 in the hymn book.
Let us go to our God in prayer, joining in unison the prayer of confession in your bulletin. Risen Christ, we rejoice in the wonder of your resurrection. You have conquered the powers of sin, evil, and death, and granted us new life this day and always. Yet so easily we forget this new reality. We sink back into our old ways of habits, our inward focus. We let our fears and anxieties mute the power of your resurrection love at work within us. We lose sight of your hope and begin expecting the worst. Forgive us. Rekindle the wonder of your resurrection among us that we might shine forth with your love, your forgiveness, your joy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The light of Jesus Christ has shined in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. He is risen this day and because he is risen and we are in him, we too are risen, forgiven and made new. Thanks be to God. Amen. We situate many of our events in the life cycle of the worship and in the life cycle of the church here at this place in the service so that we're ahead of our younger Presbyterians leaving for childcare and for children's chapel. So we do this so that we can invite you up. If you are six years old or younger, if you're a child of any age and you want to get a closer look at this, we're going to have a confirmation today. And so come and sit up here in the front. If you'd like. You want to sit over here, Kate? Or you want to sit with... You can sit together. You can squeeze in. And you're going to have a better front row seat at this awesome event in church life that we're about to embark on together. The reception of our confirmands. Y'all come on up. Now, Margot and Mary have spent the last year together with me and with Silas Eckert, who is also here in solidarity. Appreciate you, Silas, coming over from the Lutherans across the way. Uh, Silas joined us for all of our confirmation uh, classes and retreats and things that we did together as the first part of his journey. So we were very appreciative to have him with us and have him here with us today. So we spent the last year talking, figuring things out, reading, studying, and seeing where we were in our faith. Confirmation is a time where we get to confirm the promises that were made on our behalf at baptism. These guys were baptized as kids. They don't remember that part. 
But they remember and they can hear now what those baptismal promises were. And so this is an opportunity to confirm what was said then in front of their church family. On behalf of the session, Margot Stringer and Mary McCullough are presented by the session for the reaffirmation of the baptismal covenant. They now desire to profess their faith publicly and to accept greater responsibility in the life of the church and God's mission in the world. Trusting, trusting in the gracious mercy of God, do you turn from the ways of sin and renounce evil and its power in the world? If so, say, I do. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior? Trust in his gracious grace and love, do you? Will you be Christ's faithful, not perfect, but faithful disciple, obeying God's word and showing Christ's love? If so, say, I do. And will you devote yourself to the church's teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, will you? Will the congregation please stand? Will you, by your prayers and witness, help Margot and Mary to grow into the full stature of Christ? If so, would you say, we will? Please be seated. At this time, Christopher's going to offer a prayer of blessing over these two, and I would invite any of our active ruling elders who are present to come forward. I know... Some are traveling, but if you are present, we'd love for you to lay hands on our two confirmands as a sign that uh, what they step into is not just their own personal journey, but truly, uh, we do this as a family of faith. We do this as a church. We offer this blessing as a people together. I invite you all to pray with us as this is the sign of the church supporting these new members in the next step of their faith life. Creator God, we are amazed and in awe of the many ways that you manifest in our lives, of the many blessings that you bring into our hearts, things that we never could have imagined. We trust that you know where our steps are going to lead, that you have a plan for us to support us to love us, to care for us, and not to harm us. We ask you, God, to hear the prayer of these elders, these folks gathered here, these leaders of your church, in supporting these young people. Help them, God. Order their steps and bring them ever closer to your heart. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. As they return to their seats, uh, I will invite uh, Lucy forward, uh, one of our caregivers. She's going to come up to the front door here by the chapel. And any of our children who are six years and younger uh, can join her right there at the door and head off to Children's Chapel. And parents, you'll be able to pick up uh, your child in room 101 after the service.
us join together in prayer. Living God, on the first day of the week, you brought to birth a new creation. Through the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, by your risen spirit, help us hear afresh the joy and hope of your resurrection power made known through the reading and preaching of this, your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our first reading of scripture comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 to 25. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it, or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth. One who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. But the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Thank you, Bell Choir. It's always a privilege, joy to have a chance to hear you all play. Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from John 21, verses 1 through 12, and the first part of 12 is where we'll end today. Let's listen together for the word of the Lord. Jesus later appeared to his disciples along the shore of Lake Tiberias. Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the brothers James and John were there, together with two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. The others said, well, we will go with you. And they went out in their boat. But they didn't catch a thing that whole night. Early the next morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize who he was. And Jesus shouted, Friends, have you caught anything? No, they answered. So he told them, Let your net down on the right side of your boat, and you will catch some fish. They did. And the net was so full of fish that they could not drag it up into the boat. Jesus' favorite disciple told Peter, "It, It is the Lord. And when Simon heard that, it was the Lord. He put on clothes that he had taken off while he was working, and then he jumped into the water. The boat was only about a hundred yards from shore, and so he swam. And so the other disciples stayed in the boat and dragged in the net full of fish. When the disciples got out of the boat, they saw some bread and a charcoal fire with fish on it. Jesus told his disciples, Bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter got back into the boat and dragged the net to shore. And in it were 153 large fish, but still the net did not rip. And Jesus said, come and eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to first talk about the passage that we read from Isaiah. If you listen to it, it's very poetic. It's inspirational, even. If you live right now in a moment of separation or weariness or pain or a time of desire for God's salvation, then this is your verse. In this passage from Isaiah that we just read, there is a promise that new realms will be created and that the current realms will be wiped away so that they won't even be remembered. Now there is another undercurrent to that that we can read into. Or if we've read the previous chapters in Isaiah, we'll, we'll know the whole story. But this whole book was one that was written for the Jewish people in the ancient days when they were exiled under Babylonian rule. 
Now, we use it all the time, especially for the high holy days of Christmas and Easter. Handel's Messiah is largely lifted from the book of Isaiah. This book, more than many others in the Old Testament, tells the full story. It tells the story and was written in exile and was also written in the aftermath. So it can convey the reality of current dire situation and also the positivity of a book written after liberation has taken place. So this passage that we read, this was written after the Jews were home and safe, and it marks also what life was like when they were still in exile, and not only the hope of the future that they now have. In verse 18, it says that heaven and new earth are rejoicing forever, So we can know that there was no rejoicing in what God had created while they were in exile. In exile, the city was not a delight, and the people of the city were hateful, and there was the sound of weeping and crying in the city. In verse 20, the people who have returned home from exile have healthy infants who live a long life, well past a hundred years old. Yet we can also tell that while they were in exile, they built houses and tended vineyards, but didn't live in those houses and weren't able to eat that food. Their labor had no real effect on the world. Their children felt doomed without a future. They felt like they were calling out to God and receiving no exile. They harmed one another. They destroyed each other. This is the life of the exile. The inverse. The life of hope and glory that we read about. I worry sometimes that it is hard for me, hard for us to imagine The life of an exile? I wonder if even my small comforts bar me from hearing the powerful hope here that Isaiah is preaching from our reading. Isaiah's audience were people who lived through generations of tragedy. I wonder how how it really resonated with them to hear these words of hope. Then I have a moment to recall the generations of my life. I remember how older Arabs in my family were treated with racism and scorn. I realize how our family has suffered through the loss of babies, how the fear of the future has crept into our lives. And surely we have all had These experiences of exile brought on by separation from our home. Brought on by the death of people we love. Brought on by the exhaustion of work that seems to bear no fruit. Brought on by age that steals parts of who we were away from us. Brought on by the real fear of being without a home. And then we turn and we look at the world and we see that when a landmark cathedral is engulfed in flames, when racists are burning down the churches of St. Laundry Parish here in the U.S., 
when people are murdered as they worship in Christchurch, New Zealand, and in Sri Lanka, we can feel the distance between the person and their faith home. Perhaps we can all feel that life of the exile a little more deeply than we realized when we first listened to Isaiah's words. Maybe those words of hope are a little more meaningful to us than they are on the first paths. Maybe we know what it feels like to be untethered from our home of faith. Being in exile for the Jews in Isaiah's time was a total reversal of the way in which they were supposed to live, in the way in which they were supposed to exist. The whole point of the children of Israel was for them to be landed in the place of milk and honey and to be God's witnesses and emissaries to all the rest of the world, fulfilling the old Abrahamic promise, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to all nations. That's the life of the Jewish children of God, though, at this point. The inverse of that, the flip of that, that feeling that things aren't right. This isn't who we were made to be. And it's also the life of Simon Peter sitting in the boat overnight in the Gospel of John. They're all people without a home. We read this passage from John, and I have to wonder, what were those Christ followers thinking at this point? Sitting by the Sea of Galilee, and now it's not the entire group, it's just a a handful of them hanging out on the shore, and it's already evening. They're basically homeless. Remember, everything that they did while they were following Jesus around was to depend on the hospitality of others, and you have to assume that was because of who Jesus was. They're asking questions of each other, they're chatting, they're reflecting on what has happened. Was any of this real? Why did God do this to us? Jesus is back from the dead, but we don't know what to do. We're we're still questioning. What do we do now? Everything's overlapping, happening in rapid fire, and then suddenly Simon Peter gets up. I'm going fishing. He doesn't invite anyone else to go along. (laughs) He doesn't say why he's going fishing. Maybe he just can't stand feeling like this and not doing anything. Because Simon Peter is still experiencing exile. His home is gone. His life is unstable. His church is burning. His friend, his rabbi, has been murdered in front of him. He's untethered and unfocused, and even his companions perhaps now feel distant. So he does the same thing that maybe we would all do. He goes back to his old habits, to his old life. He does what he knows, the old patterns. He gets up and he goes out into the water. I'm going fishing. And his friends, who are a blessing, say, well, we'll, we'll, we'll go with you. We'll all go. And it's an all-night process, fishing in the ancient world. 
The sun is down. They bring some things to eat. It's hard work, though. It's a lot of sweat throwing nets out into the water, pulling nets wet back into the boat, untangling the mess at sopping wet and throwing it back out to start over again, over and over. They talk to each other. Maybe they laugh. Maybe they weep a little. Maybe they quote Isaiah 65 to each other, trying to find some hope in their own sense of exile. Their leader is dead. The movement is over, though. Was it just a waste of time? What are they supposed to do? In the middle of all of this activity and further questions, Simon's exile deepens. Simon Peter is in anguish, I think. Because you think back to what Simon Peter has been. Simon's been in exile since his utter and abject failure as a denier of being a follower of Christ. Ever since he stood around that charcoal fire and said, I do not know him. Now, how is he going to carry on? He tries to do what he's always done, but even that is falling flat. They don't catch any fish. Then, early the next morning, there is some, there is some guy on shore. It, it's only 100 yards away, but it's too far for them to make it out in the pre-dawn light. But you can hear each other. If you've ever stood across a lake, you know how sound bounces across the top of the water. And this person on the shoreline asks the inevitable question of every person who has ever gone fishing in their lives. Did you catch anything? The answer comes back maybe a little salty after being out on a boat all night and catching nothing for this group of fellows who was supposed to be fishermen once upon a time. They say, no. The Greek is really good about punctuating that with an explanation mark. Try the other side of the boat. They do it, and lo and behold, what can only be described as a miracle happens. And John, the author of the gospel, catches on first and tells Simon, It's the Lord! That's who that is! That's the only person that could be! And Simon, Simon Peter exiled completely for these past few days since the night of the arrest. If you look back in the past two appearances of Jesus, Simon Peter says nothing. He has no role in those two instances. This person that was supposed to be so close to Jesus maybe is tucked away in a corner, reliving the three times that he had denied Christ already. But now, right now, in the presence of this miracle, in the presence of Christ Jesus standing on the shore, Simon has his breakthrough. He jumps up into the water and swims out to Jesus. And at this point, I am reminded of a line from the story of the prodigal son. And while he was yet still far away, he ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And so there is a running through the surf 
there is a laughing and embracing because exile is over. The hope of Isaiah's words in chapter 65 ring true and clear. There is rejoicing and gladness at last. There is delight and no sound of the weeping that took place in the night. Through the darkness and through the loneliness of work that sometimes seems as if it has no purpose in it, Jesus is a man of miracles, God's son who welcomes us on the shoreline of our lives with the embraces of a dear friend who's made us breakfast. It is no small thing that after the weariness of exile on the ship, Christ's first order is to feed his friends. Come and eat. Here, where Jesus has built a fire on the shore to welcome you. Now, this past year, we had an awesome time with the Confirmands. And it reminded me a lot of my own confirmation story, my own confirmation year, which happened in a very similar way. We took several retreats throughout the year to do our confirmation work together. There was another reason that that kind of came to mind, which because for me, that year was also a time of exile. For many of us in our teenage years, because of change and trying to figure out the truth of the person that God made us to be at that time, it is hard. In our small town that we had just moved into, it was extra hard for me to try to figure out who God wanted me to be. My parents were separated, and we are going back and forth from town to town. It was hard. The other students in this new town had a very narrow understanding of what was acceptable. If only comics and Star Wars were as popular then as they are now, I would have been made. I would have been golden. It would have been so much different. But other students found me, and I found them. Other folks who were kind of on the fridge. Other people that were experiencing their own exile. The interesting thing is that as we became closer as a group of friends, as we found our strength together, we began to notice something else about the others in the school. The rich kids, the sports people, the A-plus students, all these other groups. We realized that they were in exile too. They had their own families of hidden pain. They had their own fears. In fact, the secret that I discovered was that it was the harder they held on to a particular institution, the more filled with fear they were. The more they wanted the acceptance of the team or the squad or, or all these other things, it was the only lifeline they were holding on to. And in their exile, they didn't know where else to go. They were just like Simon Peter sitting in that boat clinging to those nets, throwing them back out, pulling them back in, hour after hour after hour in the night, saying, I will make this work. This is who I am. I just know it. I just need 
to be released from this exile. I just need to find my home again. And that was the surprising thing with my friends and I. What we ended up creating together wasn't just a a group or a cohort or a, a place of safety. It was a home. It was the creation of a new home together that out of our many brokennesses, we found something sustaining and real and wonderful. And isn't, isn't that the opposite of exile? Certainly for the children of Israel, but for all of us, isn't coming home the opposite of that? Isn't coming home the feeling that Isaiah 65 tries to capture as they return from Babylon? And isn't that the joy, the absolute joy that Simon Peter feels as he comes crashing through the water to return to the arms of Christ? to the invitation made on the shore, to the miracle, to the real life, to the warmth of that fire that was made there. This past week, a friend of mine pointed out something about the Gospel of John. There are fully two fires listed in the Gospel. One is here on the beach with Simon Peter, And Christ. And the other is a few days past in the courtyard as Simon Peter stands beside it and says, I do not know him. One fire placing Simon Peter in exile, and another fire. Welcoming him home. It's true. It's true that privilege and power and all the other things of our life can blind us to the real story of the exile. Can blind us to the desperate people who are being pushed out of their homes. But it also blinds us to the deeper truth that we have the power to exile ourselves. And we often do. It blinds us to the real relief that Isaiah has for us. It fools us into imagining that our spirits are not in peril, that if we just stay on the boat and keep throwing out the net, we'll find our place. It keeps us awash in self-doubt and self-loathing, Meanwhile, Christ is on the shore building a fire to welcome us home. It's true. There is evil in the world. Our cathedrals burn. Evil racist people will burn down your church. It's true that people will shoot and bomb you while you worship because of your color or language or background. The real exile is also a choice that we make to stay on the boat. If it weren't so, Isaiah wouldn't write this. Being in exile would just be a thing that happened. 
yeah, we were in exile for a while in Babylon. It was real bad, but, you know, then it was over, so we did this other stuff. No, this, this is a message of hope for people that need to hear a message of hope. For people that experience their own exile in every walk of life. For people that have that exile nature within them. This is the message of hope that says, don't be afraid of leaving your exile. Don't be afraid to jump out of the boat and swim to shore if you have to. This is a message of hope to people who will go through despair. Isaiah knew it. The children of Israel knew it. Jesus knew it. And Peter knew it. The intention of these passages is to remind us, remind the faithful church, God's chosen people, to bring love into the world, to be inspired. So that we know what it looks like when exiled children can return home to safety. Our role, our role as Easter people, as people of a resurrected Christ, is not to stay in the boat Our lives are not intended for fruitless work through the night. We are not supposed to be returning to our old ways because we are ashamed or hurt. We're meant to come running, splashing through the waters to embrace our risen Savior, to eat together the meal that has been prepared for us and to sit by the fire. And return to our true home. Amen. As people who are welcomed, encouraged, and inspired to come home again. Let's stand and sing hymn number 119 together. listening to the live broadcast of a worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. You have just heard this morning's sermon entitled The Fires of Home, which was delivered by Christopher Tweel, our associate pastor for Christian education. The congregation will now join in singing The Strife is O'er, which is number 119 in the Presbyterian hymn.
Pontius Pilate was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Let us share together now in prayer. Risen Lord, we give thanks that you have defeated the powers of sin and evil and death, that you are this day risen, and because you are, so too are we. We make and know our home in you. But even as we know our home and our life this day and always in you, still we carry burdens and hurts and aches. Those for ourselves, those for our world. We ache alongside sisters and brothers whose, whose sanctuaries as near as this country, as far as France and Sri Lanka, have known fire and destruction in recent days. We ache especially this day for our sisters and brothers in Sri Lanka, for whom death has struck so fully, so wrongfully, so near, but hours ago. We ask that the comfort and mercy and love of your resurrection power be especially made known to them this day and in the coming days. We ache for all of those in our midst who carry in their body or their soul or both a brokenness, a tiredness, an anxiety, a pain, an injustice, a hurt, a loss, a searching. And we pray that your resurrection power might be received afresh by each of them. That your resurrection promise might be sealed to their hearts so that they know in the very depths of their being that whether we live or whether we die, we belong to you, our Lord, this day and always It is in you we make our home. And in that home we have discovered and know the prayer that we share as your family and enfold our every prayer into saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In response to the grace and new life that we know in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves uh, in so many countless ways. Many thanks to those of you who have offered uh, your thoughtfulness in providing uh, these Easter lilies. And if you did provide Easter lilies today, be sure and and, um, you can take those with you after the service of worship. Thanks. Many of you brought, um, very thoughtfully brought fresh flowers as well for uh, the flower cross in worship uh, today. After the service, we invite you to... um, 
just head out on our terrace on a perfectly lovely day. We've got a special Easter cake to celebrate with you, and we have special homemade cupcakes to celebrate our two confirmands. So hope you can be part of that. And then um, you notice in your bulletins, you've got a couple inserts, and just highlight uh, our next Courageous Conversation. Uh, where we get together uh, in the fellowship hall will take place on Sunday, May 5th, right after worship. And uh, we've been, as a congregation, if you've been around, we've been having about every month or six weeks these conversations where we dive into uh, a topic or an issue that's not always easy for us or our society to to go toward. Uh, But we've been going right towards it and learning to love and hear one another across the aisle and across the issues, and it's been beautiful. You're welcome to jump in on our next one. and it is, again, May 5th. The, the topic, the theme is, is around the multi-generational church, the gifts of that, and also uh, the challenges to work through when, when you have that wonderful gift. If you want RSVP for that May 5th luncheon, you can do so as the offering plate comes around. Say, hey, yep, I'm coming. I need child care. Let us know. I would love to have you uh, just a couple weeks from now. And otherwise, you have your communication cards. And if there are ways we can be praying with you, thanking God alongside you, following up with you, uh, please let us know, and regardless, just let us know uh, that you're, you're with us this day, and you can place it in the offering plate as it comes around. Give now as you are led.
For the past hour, you have been listening to the worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. Please join us again next Sunday through our radio ministry or in our sanctuary at 1627 Monument Avenue. You're also also welcome to join us each Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. for Wednesday night supper. Your announcer today has been John Harris, and the engineer was Steve Kemp. This service streams live and can be accessed through the Grace Covenant website, which is grace-covenant.org. We now return you to Christian Talk Radio on WLES 590 on your AM dial and 97.7 on your FM dial. Gracious Lord Jesus, we give thanks that you have conquered sin and death, that you are risen. We ask that you take these, our tithes, our offerings, our gifts, as expressions of our gratitude. That because you are risen, we have our home with you and alongside one another this day and for all eternity. In your holy name we pray, amen. As we prepare to sing... Thine is the glory. The, as you see in your bulletin, the choir is going to be coming down to the steps here. And as they gather and start to sing, those of you who want to come forward and be present for the Alleluia Chorus at the very end, you can start making your way forward as well, filling it in. You can grab a score right here. Uh, all are certainly welcome and invited to be part of that.
risen Christ invites you out of the boat and onto the shore with a welcoming fire and a meal to tell you that you're home. What else can you say but hallelujah? Amen. Amen.